0: What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez.
1: Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose to thread it through their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Guster that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about us and how you can work together at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. With us today is Dan McClure. He's the founding partner of Innovation Ecosystem. He is working to make system innovation a core creative capability that is enthusiastically embraced and widely practiced. He has authored a number of papers on system innovation methodologies and agile enterprises and is also actively engaged with programs addressing cutting edge issues such as scaling, localization, and dynamic collaboration building. We'll be talking today about innovation and disruption and how leaders and companies can take a vastly different approach to them than they're perhaps previously considered. He us today from Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Dan, welcome to Working On Purpose. It's great
2: to be here, Lise. Thanks very
1: much. You're so welcome. glad our, our paths have crossed. And when I started to dig into your work, Dan, I really got excited. And first we, we have to talk about the title that you've given yourself, that you've discovered fits best, Systems Choreographer. Let's start there.
2: Yeah, so the core of the work that we do is really focused on how do you change the systems that exist around us? And this doesn't mean like, you know, how do I remake the world economic financial system? We are surrounded by systems of all types. So the system that allows you to get a coffee in the morning, the system that educates your children, the system that provides you an opportunity to create value in the job that you're working at. These are all systems built out of people, organizations, resources, technologies. And in many ways, we haven't focused very much on those from the perspective of innovation we focus on individual pieces and parts but we haven't really stepped back and say how do we intentionally shape these things and so when we started looking at you know what is what's the job of doing that we realized there wasn't a good job title in the you know commercial business sectors of things so we started casting about for where do you have these jobs where people are working with complex messy not entirely well-defined challenges, and it was the arts. So we stole the title of choreographer. Mm. and The idea of system choreographer is really somebody who shapes complex, messy things in ways that end up producing beautiful value. How's that? I like it.
1: Well, and as I told you before we got on air, I am a systems person. I, I like systems. I think in systems. And so I really was drawn to that whole notion, which is part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show, in case you were wondering. Yes. Uh, right? Just in case. Uh, so part from my vantage point, Dan, I'm so up to this notion of trying to help the world create organizations where people want to come to work, as, as you heard in the introduction. And, and I had uh, Marcus Buckingham on my show probably over a year ago. We were talking about how so many companies are designed to be efficient and effective for the benefit of the organization at the expense of the human soul, uh, and so you know I'm very interested in this notion of you know how you're out to intentionally change systems because I really do believe that the pandemic has helped us see how how wrong the world of work is for so many people. So, what's your perspective on this notion of how many organizations are designed?
2: Well, you know, I think. In some ways, the organization gets a bad rap because the organization is only doing what it needs to do to create the kind of value that it's bringing to the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And if your organization is about efficiency and replicating a process and making something work the same today as it does tomorrow and the day after that, those jobs have to look a certain way you know they have to be jobs that are designed around a box or around a you know rigorous definition of this is what you're going to do every day day in and day out if however you say the purpose of my organization is to go out and create unique value in the marketplace to bring together different pieces of what's out there and you know either craft unique value for different people and or different organizations or respond to changes in the market then the organization itself can be different it doesn't have to be a machine-like set of gears and cogs that fit together the organization can actually be one where people are not only encouraged to be creative but need to be creative for the organization to do what it needs to do so i think the first thing to do is reimagine what you want to get out of the organization, and then a lot of the other good behaviors will go along with it.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. I really like that. And then stepping into that whole, you said that, that really what you're really all about is intentional changing of systems. So let's first start with, when do we know? When does an organization start to recognize that it needs to change its systems? What are the, what are the indications or the symptoms that it's
2: time? Mm. Well, so it, you know, it can widely vary. You know, one is you look up and you see a really big truck coming at you quickly. (laughs) And if you happen to notice that you're about to be smashed by something, that's a good sign that disruption is maybe in your future. And so, you know, for a lot of organizations, the trucks are coming at them. They're about to be smashed by, you know, potentially a you know, set of small little competitors that are eating away at the bottom of their business or by some large competitor that's coming and transforming the business. But either way, almost every organization is facing this ongoing truck. And so, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know it's time when your existing business model, when your existing way of creating value in the market doesn't have any more, many more days left for it. Mm -hmm. So that's one. But there's another, which is you look out there and you say, look at all these pieces, this Legos of the world that I could assemble in some unique and different way. And you like get excited by the opportunity. And I think, you know, you can go that direction too, of just saying, I can do so much here if I just freed myself from what I'm already doing.
1: Mm-hmm you know so it's so interesting to me dan so uh one of my most detested phrases that i hear people say to me is well that's just how we do things here <laughs> Marley, how's that working for you um so i i'm so interested in, in this notion of you know automated behavior we all you know live with a lot of automated behaviors and just a really quick example to get our listeners and viewers into the space with me um when i first moved into this home that i live in now some five years ago uh, my daughter, you know, would get out of the passenger seat of the car and she'd walk across the lawn and and, and go into the into the, the front of the house. And invariably she would track mud into the house and I'd get mad about it. I'd be like, oh, there's mud in my clean house. And, you know, Dan, what I somehow realized was, gosh, you know, my driveway is pretty long. And if I actually pull my car up so it, she's not just snuggling with the tree right here, but I pull her up just a little bit further to the driveway, you guess what happens? That passenger door aligns with the sidewalk that goes up to my house, and my daughter can walk on that and not get mud in my house. It was there the whole time, Dan, but I couldn't see it because I, I automated you know, behavior and habit of parking in that one same space. So I'm very interested in you know how it is that we as individuals and our organizations can start to get present to there are other ways of doing this. I just didn't see it before.
2: You know, I think it's a two-part process. Um, You know, one of the phrases we use in system innovation is if if it's hard, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) The mere fact that it's hard is indicative of there's something about the system that's pushing against you, that's working Mm. against you. Mm. And the nice thing as a system innovator is that you've got the tools at hand to change things. You know, so often... If you're working within a highly structured um, organization that doesn't allow much change, you don't have very many tools for making things better. You know, in your example, you have the tools in place to, um, you know, pull the car forward. It's funny, as a system innovator, I was thinking, oh, the solution to that is to build a sidewalk from where her daughter gets out. And (laughs) so I was, I came up with roughly the same solution, but from a broader perspective of change. Mm -hmm. And I think this is one of the things that's so freeing about once you realize that you can change the systems, is you don't have to be satisfied with, oh, it's hard, I'm just gonna continue to do it wrong. You can say, oh, it's hard. And I'm gonna start making changes to the underlying pieces that make that not work.
1: Mm hmm. So then if we step back a few steps, I want to take us into where and I reached out to you and got so excited about some of the work that you do. And one of the articles that you have on LinkedIn that I think is just wonderful. It's called the creative power of big problems. That's one of them that's listed. And what I thought was so great, and this is, I'd like to unpack this and give our listeners and viewers access to this, because I think this would fundamentally change the way organizations go about solving problems and innovating if they were to embrace even a portion of this. So what you talk about here is, you know, instead of, you know, the idea, uh, the conventional path is rushed to solution, where you have, you know, you've got an idea and you take it to 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 address this, make it into a solution. Um, And then you have another, a better option is to look back at the specific root cause, but the fundamental shift is to understand the system behind the problem. And so what I thought was so cool about what you've done here, Dan, is you said the first step is to see the problem as a symptom of underlying system issues and then go explore the big picture of the system behind the problem and then see the whole challenge, imagine a better solution, et cetera, et cetera. So the part that I thought was so exciting was, wow, Stepping into that space of how do we get ourselves into this in the first place was so mind boggling and was right there in front of
2: me. But I didn't see that until I read your article. Well, and you know, I think there's a lot of natural human emotions that lead us away from that. So we tend to want to simplify things. And so, you know, the rush to solution is often one of we know what the answer is and if we just simply like accepted that knowledge we could begin action and all of those things feel really good right we eliminate ambiguity we begin to act you know it feels like this is the kind of thing that really proactive people do on the other hand it ignores the fact that oftentimes there's a great deal of opportunity in taking that stepping back embracing the complexity. And, you know, we talk about the seduction of simplicity. Simplicity is just so seductive because it feels like you can do things. It feels Mm -hmm. like you can eliminate risk. But by embracing complexity, you can see first a bigger problem. And that might sound awful. But what it really means is that you can embrace a more exciting and dynamic challenge, something that potentially has greater impact. You know, one of the um, experiences I had in the past was working with a media company, and they wanted to go and improve the websites for their television stations. And this was, you know, seemed like a good investment. As we asked them about, you know, what's the future of those television stations? What they said was, "Oh, they're all gonna be bankrupt in five years. Oh, seems like so a good investment. Their <laughs> desire to rush forward and improve the websites of the television stations basically ignored the fact that there was this much bigger challenge out there that they could have embraced. And if had they embraced it, they could look at potentially more powerful solutions. So instead of merely, you know, improving the website, they could look at, you know, all sorts of things that they might bring together in this new, exciting world of media. And they would also have many more options if things went sideways. You know, if all you're doing is improving the website, then that's really the only thing that you can adjust and and refine. But if you've embraced the bigger problem, you can have lots of different directions you can go. And this idea of complexity being a positive, powerful thing is really quite exciting once you start getting your arms around it.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. So here's what I'd like us to do if we if we can, Dan is we're gonna go grab our first break here in just a second. And while we're on the break, if you could take that beautiful mind of yours and 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 conjure an example of an organization that has used this fundamental shift methodology that you were talking about, that would be really lovely if you could if you could chew on that. So, Let us grab our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Dan McClure, a system integration architect, strategist, and system choreographer. We've been talking a bit about his space and his interest in intentional changing of systems. After the break, we wanna hear that example. We're also gonna get into disruption. Stay with us, we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Working on Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. I'd like to invite you to check out my book that I put out uh, last November. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and LA Cause. It's on Amazon. I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven their workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. I also use the content as a basis for my vitally inspired leadership program and Grab Your Gusto programs. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is Dan McClure. He's the founding partner of Innovation Ecosystem. He is working to make system innovation a core creative capability that is enthusiastically embraced and widely practiced. He has authored a number of papers on systems innovation methodologies and agile enterprises, and is also actively engaged with programs addressing cutting-edge issues such as scaling, localization, and dynamic collaboration building. I'm your host, Dr. Luis Cortez. So while we are on break, Dan, did that mind of yours come up with an example you can share with us on how to take us through that methodology?
2: Yeah. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to offer you a cobbled together example of several different organizations because their challenges were all related. And I think um, it's, it's really interesting when you see an entire industry getting reinvented to see how organizations respond to that. Mm-hmm. So, um, in this particular case, the industry is education, and you know, there's been a number of different angles that folks have taken as far as you know, how do we respond to, you know, the kind of obvious disruptions that that we see around the world. In some ways, the story of education is just so exciting right now. You know, the level of education in countries is much higher than most people realize. You know, the vast majority of children are being educated today. The level of college education is dramatically higher in the current generation than it even was a generation or two ago. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of growth in education. But that does open the question of, if you're an organization whose job and whose business is education what do you do what do you do in this new marketplace and so one of the organizations um, that we've worked with in the past had developed technology that was to be used in the classroom And they had done all the right things from an innovation perspective. So we know as innovators growing up over the last 10 years that you're supposed to develop minimum viable products. You're supposed to fail fast. You're supposed to engage the people who are going to use the product. And, you know, all of these best practices around user-centered design. And they did all of those things and They took their brand new product and put it into the classroom and none of the teachers used it. It was entirely not adopted. And what they realized was the challenge was they had developed a great product, but the system around the product, all the curriculum that needed to be integrated with the teachers, the pedagogy that the teachers would apply to that, the just general training of everybody to how to use this technology in a classroom environment. None of those things had been fully explored. And as a result, the organization needed to make a deep pivot from being simply I'm a product organization delivering this piece of technology to I'm an organization that is going to transform the way the classroom works. And as they moved into this space, what they realized was it wasn't just about the teacher. It was also about the school administration and about the nature of the content and about the integrating with the parents themselves. And so, They expanded the size of the problem that they were looking at and in in the same time created many more opportunities for them to create value. Instead of just being, I'm delivering a, 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 you know, iPad onto your desk, they became an organization that really could influence a whole bunch of different pieces of the, you know, school environment and how how children learned.
1: Mm. That's yummy, Dan. That's really yummy. Um, that is really interesting. So, you know, that sort of speaks to they tried maybe, you know, the the conventional path plus a better option. Um, but then they really had to go into that fundamental shift you were talking about and really step into or step back and look at what got us into this mess in the first place. What what, what Where did this problem get generated and what was the system that helped create that? That's really interesting,
2: Dan. Well, and it's, it's not even just limited to what created the problem. The flip side of this is where are all the other opportunities? Mm-hmm. You know, once you start saying, I can embrace the this big space, I can start thinking about, how could I create new sources of content that were exciting and new and different than I, what I had before? Yeah. How could I engage parents in different ways? Mm-hmm. So it's not only your problem gets gnarlier, but your toolbox gets so much bigger. And that's what I find really exciting is that, you know, when I sit down and think about, you know, some of these challenges, it's like, when I think about the bigger system, I have so many more things that I can do. Mm-hmm.
1: So recall before we came on the show that I told you that one of my big interests and and intents, in this, and this program as well as the work that I do is helping to elevate consciousness in leaders, in businesses, et cetera. Uh, I am a conscious capitalist. I believe very much in the notion of a business serving all of its stakeholders well. And that takes being intentional and to elevate consciousness. And I feel like what you're talking about, your work is very much smacked down that lane. So as you were talking, Dan, tell me if, I, if this analogy that I'm about to share with you rings true or if you want to tweak it somehow. But as you were sharing that last example, what I got was you know, using this methodology that you're talking about, where you then you go back and you step back and and, and really look at know where did this problem come from what was the system that generated it and then of course what are the opportunities that we have going forward i almost felt like it's like kind of doing like time travel so it's like i'm standing here today in 2021 but i have the ability somehow to step back to like to the 1960s and when i walk in that room and i see you know this educational place that you were talking about i see it from these eyes and then so I can evaluate, oh, I see where that start, where those things came from and where the problems arose and wow, from this point I can see so much more, like I, there should be paintings on the walls over here and there should be this and that. So it sort of seems like that to me. It's like the you're, you're using the ability to time travel almost. So you have the, the ability to see with 2021 eyes what the problem or whatever the situation was, say in 1960, and then you come back and you iterate and, and start to uh, apply solutions and create from those from these fresh eyes, is it something like
2: that? Something, but I'm gonna flip your your um, analogy around. So okay. I love to time travel, but I try time travel forward. Okay so instead of spending lots of time imagining what the 1960s looked like, I try to understand the system as it exists today. and then I say, five years from now what would a system look like that was so much better than this mm-hmm. what would the future system look like and this is some this is sort of the other half of the of the challenge that most people don't fully embrace they get sometimes a really good understanding of what the underlying problem is and then they start playing whack-a-mole So they pick a particular problem and and whack at that, and then they pick another problem and whack at that. But there's no intent around how all of these different actions that they're doing are going to fit together to create a better future world. Mm -hmm. A system innovator steps back and says, I now understand how the system works. I'm now going to time travel into the future And Mm -hmm. I'm going to imagine a system where all the pieces come together. You know, we're working right now with some folks that are trying to reimagine power systems in response to climate change. Mm -hmm. And this is a case where there's so many different stakeholders and you can't imagine half the solution. You can't imagine the solution where power gets generated and power gets used unless you've figured out how the power is going to move or how the bank financing is going to work. So a future system is one where all the pieces work together to produce the type of outcomes and value that you want. And that ability to time travel into the future and paint those systems, to paint a complete picture of what would work, that's really what a lot of what the job of the choreographer is, Mm -hmm. is to be able to see that future system.
1: Okay, so now that gets me into the space when what I what I, I want to talk about disruption. So, you know, it's certainly re- okay, are are we ready? Can we get there? Um, so talk to me about productive disruption and creative disruption.
2: Mm, dis- well, so first off, disruption is good. Mm-hmm. And it is good because it implies that you're breaking free of the status quo. Mm-hmm. So productive disruption is breaking free of the status quo in a way that produces better value. So, you know, one of the dangers, I think, sometimes if you find yourself confronted with a really bad situation and a bad system is that the first inclination is to just go and beat on it with sticks and, you know, tear it down. And the problem is, systems don't naturally reassemble themselves in a better way. Mm. So a much more powerful form of disruption, a much more productive form of disruption is where you imagine that future system and then you start saying, okay, I know where I wanna go. What pieces of the house do I need to start pulling down now to get to that future version that I want?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Very interesting. Um, When you were talking about the education example, I thought that was really interesting because um, As somebody who um, You know, I I would say that I really do traffic in the educational sense inside organizations, right? That's a large service that I'm providing. I've also taught in universities as well. Um, I've never taught online Um, But I I feel like there is there has been such an opportunity to really look and examine at that particular industry for disruption Can you weigh in on, on that?
2: Oh, so what I find interesting is there's a lot of folks that when you ask them about disrupting an industry, they imagine making the status quo players uncomfortable. And sort of (laughs) that's their definition of disruption is they put a the under the mattress of Mm -hmm. the status quo players. Right. For me, in this age, this moment of time, one of our great luxuries and pieces of excitement is that there is so much that can be done that is just radically different. Mm -hmm. So, um, the thing that I've been playing with lately and, you know, I've been chatting with people, um, on and off is just, one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to have self-driving cars, right? Mm
0: -hmm. That's going
2: to happen. Mm -hmm. Once you have self-driving cars, you actually don't need to have car ownership anymore because you can just Uber everything. Um, what could you do in a self-driving car? Oh. So you could have parties or something, but you could also have like little self-driving universities.
1: Absolutely. I've totally thought about this, Dan. Totally on this. Yes.
2: So so why is Stanford or the University of Michigan or Rice in the business of selling education? Why isn't Ford or Toyota? Mm. And if you were going to suddenly say Toyota is now a key deliverer of educational content, who could they partner with that would be, you know, really exciting and different? So, you know, could you imagine, for example, content being generated by every business that wants to hire somebody for their particular business? Mm -hmm. And so if you now wanna go work for, you know, Bob's auto transmission, you can get your auto transmission course from your Ford car as you're driving along. I mean, just, you begin to see completely different sets of collaborations and partnerships and opportunities to do things. And I think that's the disruption that gets me really excited. You know, I'm not worried about making the status quo uncomfortable because in all likelihood, they're going to be obsolete. It's what's the big new thing you're going to invent instead? Mm, sounds good to me, Dan.
1: On that note, let's let's wrap our last break. We've been I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dan McClure, a system integration architect, strategist, and system choreographer. We've been talking about about both system changing of systems as well as one of his favorite favorite topics, disruption. After the break, we're going to talk more about innovation and how we can teach organizations. their their team members to be more embracing of disruption change and innovation stay with us we'll be right back
0: dr elise cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose an inspirational speaker and author she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose inspired leadership and meaning infused cultures that elevate fulfillment performance and commitment within the workforce Now, back to Working On Purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. One other bit of news that I want to share with you is that the anthology that I spent the last two years curating, um, it's a collection of 25 stories of women from around the world that I found and, and enrolled And it's called uh, Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere mildly to live their purpose. It's on Amazon now. And I'm so proud of it, I could bust, because essentially all these women are sharing their very, very intimate stories of what they went through to be able to discover and then serve from their purpose. And so it's meant to be something that is educational as well as inspirational. If you're just joining us today, my guest is Dan McClure, he's the founding partner of Innovation Ecosystem, and he's working to make system innovation a core creative creative capability that is enthusiastically embraced and widely practiced. He has authored a number of papers on systems innovation methodologies and agile enterprises, and is also actively engaged with programs addressing cutting edge issues such as scaling, localization, and dynamic collaboration building. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So for our last segment here, Dan, um, as I said, I really, I want to talk more a bit, if there's anything else you want to share about disruption and then if that bleeds over into innovation so that we can start to situate a space that leaders and organizations can create a place where more of their team members can embrace what it is that you're out to evangelize in the
2: world. Yeah, so I think a big part of system innovation begins by realizing that you want to embrace disruption. That mm-hmm. you want to step us away from the seduction of simplicity that you want to say complexity is where I see my opportunity. And that step is actually a big step for organizational leaders. It's a big step for the folks that work inside an organization. So in many ways, the making an organization, a place where people can embrace this kind of work, begins by the organization as a whole, particularly their leadership, embracing not only the necessity of disruption, but the opportunity of disruption and clearly communicating that across their organization.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, there's an interesting book that that recently came out that talked about how one negative thing is more powerful than five good things. Mm-hmm. This is particularly true if you're asking somebody to embrace something as uncomfortable as diving into a burning building, which is in many ways what (laughs) doing disruption can feel like. And you've got to be very consistent in conveying this message. Mm -hmm. You know, it's we're on board with complex, big challenges and we're going to drive forward into this new space. And we think that there's great opportunity here, and that's just got to be reinforced over and over and over again. But that gets you started. and then you've got the groundwork on which to do the other work.
1: Mm-hmm. So would you say, Dan, that you know part of this is is starts with just the story that we as individuals and we as companies um, tell ourselves about ourselves. You know if we say we're creative, we're creative problem solvers. we, we 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 look for new ways to do things, or we are, we're thinkers, you know, we really are thorough, we're systematic kind of thing. I mean, it seems like it starts with just the way that we talk about ourselves. And, and so how, how do leaders socialize who's a team
2: and who are we together? Is that right? or? So I think so, but I think there's another piece that comes along with that. So I think the message of We believe we are the kind of people who can do changes to systems, you know, that we can make many pieces come together. That's an important belief you have to have. And you have to be able to say that to yourself, both as an individual and as an organization. But I also think you actually need to build the organization that has the structure, the roles, the processes that support that belief, you know. If you basically tell somebody, you are now gonna go out and be system disruptors, and then you put all your processes in place for somebody who's in a replicable job, it doesn't matter how much they tell themselves, I wanna Mm -hmm. be this. Mm -hmm. The the actual organizational structure of Fight Back. So it's really, I think, a two-part thing. Get yourself with the right attitude and the right vision, but also then build the system, the structures within the organization that support that.
1: Okay, so since we're really in the part where we're kind of applying what we've been talking about here. So what would an organization need to do? Like when you say, you know, put those that structure in place. So like can you sketch that out for us what would they need to address?
2: Well, I think part of it is realizing that it's something that the entire organization does. You know, much of the innovation work that is that was done over the last ten years sort of imagined that you could put innovation off in a corner. So you could create an innovation lab, or you could do a spin-off, or you could make it a one-week event where you had a hackathon. And that idea of we're going to make innovation something that a few people do. Yeah. Doesn't fit with the idea of system innovation. The power of system innovation is that you're taking all the parts of the organization and you're bringing them together to do new things. So that's the first big thing is realizing this is something that's gonna engage business and technology and outside partners. Okay. The other piece then is that you've got to measure and empower people in the right way. You know, we mentioned this before that if you're measuring people on how rigidly they perform on particular, you know, predefined tasks, you're not going to be in a good position to evolve and do the sort of adaptive learning that's necessary if you're going to change a big system. So you've got to put in organizational rewards that basically say, we see this system that we're going to, and we're going to reward you for moving us towards this new complex idea, rather than we've got specific goals that we want you to achieve next month or at the end of the year, et cetera, et cetera, and we're not gonna pay attention to what's been happening around the world. You know, We s- simply want you to, to accomplish your task.
1: Mm-hmm. So then of course, that makes me want to ask you if you've got an example of, of uh, an organization that you've worked with that, that you know of, that has done this kind of overhaul of their overall corporate entity or their company entity to be able to enable this.
2: Yeah, so the board. I think there's a lot of organizations that are pushing to do this right now. Um, this work began being labeled as digital transformation, mm-hmm. and you know, oftentimes this sort of more agile, adaptive approach was applied strictly to the technology groups. And then it was applied to, we're going to integrate technology in with, you know, more of the business practices, et cetera. But there's really a organizational transformation movement right now that is focused on broader adaptation of Mm -hmm. entire enterprises. And, you know, we're seeing it in really all types of businesses. So whether that's insurance companies, humanitarian aid organizations, even large organizations like the UN are having serious discussions about how do we respond at a system level across this entire complex organization because the problems that we're facing are fundamentally these big complex system problems.
1: Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah, organizational transformation is really, really fascinating for me. And, you know, um, I'll, I'll share an example from my vantage point in the work that, that I, I've been doing is I'm working with a, a consulting client, um, small boutique firm, and, and they really um, were attracted to work with me because they just recognized that the ship was sinking. And, you know, that they just, they really, you know, they need to be able to make some serious fundamental changes to how it is that they do work together in order to, you know, really remain a strong provider of services in, in, in their industry. And so, you know, they they are keenly hit, sitting, out, sitting on, the hanging on the edge of their seats, you know, okay, how do we do this and how do we transform ourselves? And, you know, so like that pain that they've experienced has allowed them to step in, into the burning building that you're talking about right i'm willing to go in right it's that it's that hard out here i'm willing to run into the burning building kind of thing so i it's interesting when you start thinking about you know the, the things that that push for that so it seems to me that maybe what you're trying to do in your work is is to make it so that we're not forced into that so much as that we we opt into it it becomes more of the normal
2: well i'm i've always been a Big fan of pull versus push. Absolutely. You know, if you're if you're basically telling somebody, you know, eat those Brussels sprouts. Which, by the way, I do not understand Brussels sprouts at all. But <laughs> you haven't had them done right. Uh, this is what everybody tells me. But the truth of the matter is, they're they're just awful no matter what. Anyways, <laughs> if somebody's telling you to eat the Brussels sprouts, you know, that's not you're going to be pushing back against. All their inclinations. If you find a, here is something that you can go towards, here is a reason that you want to do these changes in adaptation, then you've got people solving a lot of the problems, helping remove their own barriers because mm-hmm. they see the thing that they want to do. And I think this matter, this is as true for organizations as it is for individuals. When you find an organization that you can say, if you master this capability of system innovation, you're going to be able to do new things in your marketplace or for your the people that you serve that you've never been able to imagine before, that gets people excited. I think that's one of the things that's really fun about doing this kind of work is watching people when they finally it finally clicks for them that, Oh, this complexity stuff actually makes me more powerful mm-hmm. and more creatively empowered in the market. That then gets people excited about doing these things, and it stops being a change management thing and becomes a how do we run up this mountain and you know take on these challenges.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what I like about that, Dan, from the, you know the the human element of that is that to me that that just is all about just screams empowerment it it screams expansion it screams you know a a team connected and united and and you know we come out of this thing and as we continue the journey we're all elevated we're bigger from that experience
2: yeah i mean it's not you can't do system innovation with top-down control you know you can't do system innovation with cogs in the machine you need every actor to be empowered to be part of a dynamic system that's responding to opportunities. And so the very nature of the type of thing that you're trying to do with this innovation being cross enterprise, being very flexible and letting go of the status quo. This is something that empowers people, requires people to be empowered.
1: hmm. Which is, of course, what I stand for. I mean activating the human potential the human element inside organizations so that they not only rise to their greatest level but the organization wins
2: too everybody wins well you know what i find so frustrating about sort of the traditional reductionist top-down control business model is that it doesn't deliver all that great of value in the Mm -hmm. world Mm -hmm. you know if it was we were suffering through these miserable jobs because this is truly the best way to create value for the, for the people of the world. You know, maybe I could, I could be talked into that, but the truth (laughs) is, that's really good if you're just replicating bars of soap. But, you know, in the reality is the opportunities and the needs, the problems in the world today need a different kind of solution. So in in so many ways, this is a win-win, you know, we can deal with bigger, harder, more complex pressing problems and we can create a better workplace that's more exciting and more energized.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, you heard you heard my introduction. That's what I'm out for is I, I want to help create organizations where people actually want to come to work and do their best and they become a bigger, better version of themselves. In so doing everybody wins from that. And so what I love about what you're up to, Dan, is I, I do think that, you know, you're, you're creating, you're helping to create a space where people can play at a higher level. They can iterate themselves in that process of serving to be able to innovate and to disrupt. And in so doing, it's enlivening for them and they grow into a a bigger version of themselves.
2: You know, I think one of the things that's interesting is where we began this work, like where this work really emerged as being necessary, we're in the areas of humanitarian aid,
1: Mm.
2: Um, social activism, Um, you know, ecological um, activism. You know, these were the big complex problems that weren't being solved. And so this was, these types of practices, these system innovation practices were necessary in those really big, messy challenges. Mm -hmm. I think that's indicative of just these are the tools for doing really big, exciting stuff in the world. And yeah. the fact that you know commercial environments are now being disrupted, that those trucks are coming and running over companies or that those big opportunities, it's almost like the commercial world is now beginning to get on board with the same sort of practices and things that were actually already being pioneered in you know, the social and the you know, humanitarian space. That's so exciting. And there
1: it is, Dan. We've managed to go through the whole time on our show here. So we've come to the end. I want to give you the chance to be able to to leave our listeners with what you'd like to leave them with, say, in under 20 seconds. We have listeners across
2: the globe. You know what the show is about. How would you like to close? I would say it's exciting to reinvent the world. And we are uniquely privileged as people to live in an era where we're empowered to do that. So let's go out and, like, change things. In a big, complex way.
1: Sounds good. I'm in. Dan, thank you so much for being a guest. I'm so glad I found you, that you came on my radar. It has been a delight to talk with you. And yes, let's go help change and elevate the world. Sounds good to me. Thanks, Elise. You're so welcome. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Dan McClure, his articles, or the work he does, start by visiting innovationecosystem.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi talking about his work in our same field of logotherapy and unleashing the defiant power of the human spirit to transform tragedy into triumph and darkness into light. It was an incredibly beautiful expose of his brilliant mind, heart, and soul that invited us all to travel inward and savor the journey. Next week, we'll be on the air with Nicolai Chen-Nielsen, who is the co-author of Return on Ambition, A Radical Approach to Your Achievement, Growth, and Well-Being, talking about how to best steward our achievement and how leaders can foster environments where ambitious people thrive. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.